0: Happy Easter again! It's Resurrection Sunday. so people, <laughs> no, no, I don't know. I guess I don't really have any real problem with finding eggs, or but I just I was looking at Instagram last night or this morning, I don't remember. And someone posted something about Resurrection Sunday, and then you know you swipe and you get another picture. It was like all eggs and Easter bunnies and stuff, and I just find it amusing. There's nothing wrong, with it. <laughs> you know, is what it is. Uh, but. With that, this morning is the day that we remember that Jesus rose from the dead um, on that first Sunday. And we're going to be looking in John chapter 20. And the title of the message is, He Must Rise Again. Man, He must rise again. He did rise again. It's more than a title. It's something that's real, that's even evident today. But this weekend in history was the weekend that changed the world. This one little weekend, three little days, 2,000 years ago, changed history. I wonder what was your weekend like? I know what your weekend was like. How much did you accomplish? You know, we had a long weekend. I got out of work a little early on Thursday. And me and I went out into the woods and it was beautiful. We almost got stuck because the, the truck in front of us wasn't prepared for the trail. Uh, maybe we wouldn't have gotten past it either, but uh, we went shooting and it was a good day. I remember feeling like we did so much and just having those two hours shorter of my work day, I was able to do so much with my daughter and did some things around the house as well. Friday, I went hiking with my son. We had lunch uh, and we had church that night. Saturday, of course errands and there's errands mixed all throughout the weekend as usual But we had dinner with friends and we watched our kids play outside and today obviously we're at church And hopefully we'll have a restful afternoon together. Maybe finish our movie But that's the weekend and that's a long weekend It's usually not that long even a long weekend when it's over it's already Sunday right now I remember thinking the other day going it's gonna be Sunday before I know it (laughs) but just trying to enjoy every moment We usually look forward to the weekend. If you work weeks and have weekends off or whatever your weekend is or days off are, you look forward to it. Sometimes it feels like it'll never come when it's a a rough week. Sometimes it feels like it comes and goes too fast. And sometimes it seems just about perfect. And I would say this weekend seems just about perfect. I'll see what next weekend's like. (laughs) But the weekend we're looking at, again, this morning, for most of the world, is probably a normal weekend. You know, as far as normal in their day and age and their society would go, it would probably probably definitely look different than ours. But for Jesus, his disciples, even for the city of Jerusalem during the Passover, and I think even in heaven, it was completely different. This was a weekend that would change the world. It was a weekend that would contain the very fulcrum of time itself. But most people... Even the disciples didn't quite know that yet. And on this past Friday, Good Friday, we looked at the events of that Friday. We looked at Jesus praying in the garden and said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but your will be done. The stress and the struggle of the Lord's morning, that very early on a Friday, before the sun had come up, one of his closest disciples, Judas, I mean, there there's 12 guys, he's pretty close to these guys, comes up and betrays him with a kiss. He says, Judas, with a kiss? Jesus proclaims, I am. When they look for him. And the soldiers say, when they say who, is, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. The name of God. And at the name of God, they fall back. They stumble and he asks them again, who are you looking for? And they get up, dust themselves off, and again, read off the warrant for his arrest. He was arrested, scourged, beaten, brought before many people, all by probably six in the morning, by the sixth hour. Then we see the king of the Jews on the cross. Even uh, Pilate was catching on to what the reality was here, that this man really was the king of the Jews. He he was getting the idea that this man, Jesus, was not of this world. But Pilate was still afraid of the earthly king, Caesar. Pilate was still bowing to him. And Jesus even said to him, you know, your sin is is not as great as the ones I've given me to you. We see that on the cross, Jesus had the sign above his head, King of the Jews. And indeed, I believe, King of the world king of the universe, king of all kings. Not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. If we remember, he was traded for Barabbas, the name even being a funny name in a sense because it means son of the father. And just the the juxtaposition there of this criminal, this murderer, son of the father. And this man of perfect peace, God with us, son of the father, traded, even going to the cross for this murderer and taking the place of this man. And even then, when they nailed Jesus to the cross, he prayed, God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, And truly, they didn't know. They knew that Jesus was some special man, maybe. He was some teacher of the Jews. He had caused some uprising. Perhaps they even knew that he claimed to be God or maybe even had wonders about him as they nailed him there. But they didn't know truly what they were doing. They didn't know truly that they were a part of God's plan, Salvation That before the foundations of the world, God knew that they would be the ones there, nailing Him there to that cross, not truly understanding the depth of what they were doing. The nails went in a few inches, but what they were doing would go through all the time. And the thought of being deceived, thinking you're doing one thing, even like Paul would say that he thought he was doing God a service, by murdering these Christians and dragging them out and having them arrested until Jesus showed up in his life and knocked him off his horse and said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't know the depth of the reality of what he was doing that. As he was doing that, he was really driving these nails into Jesus. And we ourselves, I think when sin comes, we're so deceived, we don't realize the depth of what we're doing. Oh, it's just a little thing. Oh, it'll just feel good. Oh, it's better. Oh, it's just once. But man, no. It was handled just once, but the depth of that goes throughout all of time. We saw that Jesus died on the cross. The other guys hadn't died yet, and so the soldiers went around to break their knees that they would suffocate but they didn't have to break Jesus' knees, and that was part of prophecy being fulfilled out of so many that would be fulfilled that day. We know that the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. This big, thick, heavy tapestry that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place in the temple was ripped. There was an earthquake. It was dark. It truly was like any other, unlike any other afternoon in history. And I think even then, I know Revelation 8.1 is in a sense, talking about the final judgment. But somehow, in a sense, I think there's some overlap with eternity and time. And I don't know that we can fully grasp the way eternity works because we're so based on the timeline that we're in. But it says when, when Jesus opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. You think about heaven, a place where constant praise and worship is, before the judgment of God is poured out on earth, There is silence for half an hour. And I have to wonder, was there silence in heaven when Jesus died, when the Father turned his face away? If there could be, was there weeping in heaven? And I know they knew the the end all, be all. They knew that this was God's plan, and perhaps there was even a rejoicing in it because they knew that when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. All of history, of sin, of the Garden of Eden, even history to come up to our time and into the future, was handled that day. And after he died, we see in John 19, 41 and 42, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day. The tomb was nearby. I love how God had set aside this tomb for them in a garden, how there would be this picture of the garden here in the Garden of Eden. And yet, they didn't even fully realize what they were doing. It was, in a sense, because it was the preparation day for the Passover. They had to bury him before sundown, and this was the closest place. So, God somehow, even though they didn't know what they were doing, He had it all planned out. This would be it. And this tomb was where no one had been laid before. And 1 Corinthians 15, it's interesting. Read it later if you would. But it says, 1 Corinthians 15, 20-28. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, that's Jesus, uppercase man, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one is in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, Afterward, those who are Christ's that is coming, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all and in all, that at the cross of Christ, other people had died on the cross. This wasn't the first crucifixion, but this was the first crucifixion where someone completely innocent of all sin would die for the sins of the world. And this grave that he would be laid in was a new tomb. No one else had laid in this grave, and no one else but Jesus would lay in this grave that would turn into a, a resurrection. When Lazarus was laid to death, he came back to life, but he would die again. When Jesus was laid to rest he would come back to life to never die again. That grave was his and his alone to conquer. And it was set apart for him. It was the plan. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't a mistake. This wasn't God losing control. This was the plan before all of creation. And although this weekend has been an awful one, it's only just about sundown on Friday. That this was just Friday that all this happened, just the morning, the pre-dawn, the morning, and then the afternoon. And we'll pick it up in uh, John chapter 20. But Father, again this morning, we just we thank you that we have the Bible, that we can go and, and learn and hear from you and have your word to us in it about uh, all things that are true. We thank you for uh, the cross. We thank you how you died for us and rose again. But God, we pray that even this morning you would just make the resurrection so much more real to us that you'd be in this place with us, you'd fill us and speak to us as only you can. Because God, you're not dead. You're alive. And we love you, Lord. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter twenty says Now on the first day, that's Sunday of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she uh, ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb, and they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, and yet John did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So we see here we go from Friday evening sundown, We don't pick it back up until Sunday morning. Saturday was the Sabbath, the Passover. It was a day of rest. But this Saturday, for them, at least for the small group of disciples and Jesus' mom, must have been downright somber. Not a time of rejoicing and remembering when God had delivered them from Egypt. But if they had thought about it, perhaps they would have made the connection. But they were so probably full of weeping and mourning. And I don't know if you've ever been in it, but you just sit, and you're quiet, but the silence is loud. The silence is deafening. When you've just lost a loved one. When that person that you love and care about is no longer around. And how much more so when that loved one was someone you followed for a few years. Someone you raised, your child. Someone you knew was God's Savior, God's promise, and where are they? Why are they dead? This happened so fast. Yesterday we were eating and feasting. In the middle of the night he was arrested and taken and he was crucified at noon. And after this day Mary Magdalene she goes to the tomb very early on Sunday. The sun's not even up yet. Still basically the middle of the night. When Alicia woke up the other day I thought it was the middle of the night but it was only 6 in the morning. But Mary Magdalene I'm sure she couldn't sleep. I'm pretty sure she was just waiting for the Sabbath to be over. You know, as a good Jewish person, you're not going to travel on the Sabbath. There's a law. You don't want to break that law. And she was just waiting for it to be over so she could go to the tomb. She was expecting to find his body. She was expecting to make sure that the tomb was still closed. But she just needed to go there. She couldn't stay at home anymore. She couldn't stay in that room anymore. She needed to be as close to the Lord as possible, even if it was at His grave. see the other disciple, John and Peter. They run. They stoop down. John stoops down, rather. And when he gets there, he kind of looks in to the little cave. He sees the linen cloth, and yet John doesn't go in. Maybe he's in shock. Maybe he doesn't want to get close. Maybe it's just early. But Peter, he goes right in. We know that Peter had denied Jesus. Peter was a very uh, all or nothing kind of guy. So I don't see Peter standing on the outside. Peter rushes right in. I see him almost panicked. What? You know, he's denied the Lord. He's seen him die. He's heartbroken. He's defeated, he has to rush in there. We know Jesus would soon restore him, but I sense this bit of desperation as he runs in there. Maybe I'm reading into it, but maybe I'm not. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? All this is going on. I've denied him all of this. And he's not here? why, Why is this folded up? What happened? That is grave clothes were down and they were separated. Uh, you know, perhaps was it the angels who unwrapped Jesus? I wonder how he got out of the clothes. He could have just gotten out of them, I know that, but I wonder how it happened. And apparently it was pretty hard or impossible to take them off yourself. If you look at Lazarus, they had, Jesus did uh, unwrap him. But the fact that they were neat and folded showed something that was special there. As I was reading the commentary, uh, you know, If you had unwrapped a body, it wouldn't like just be unwrapping the roll of cloth and rolling it back up like you try and roll paper towels back on the paper towel roll sometimes. They would have been bloody. They would have been covered in the myrrhs and aloes a couple days' worth. It would have been crusty. But the fact that they're neat, the fact that they're folded, the fact that he's not there shows that he wasn't just robbed, that it wasn't just a scrap, but that something different happened. And perhaps John was encouraged by Peter rushing in there. He goes in and now he sees all of it. I get a sense that he didn't quite see everything that was in there from his vantage point. And when he goes in there, says that he sees and he believes. That John is the first one to believe in the resurrection. That Mary is upset, they don't know where the body's gone. Peter is dumbfounded. But John, when he goes in, the one who had laid his head on Jesus' chest the night before a dinner, just wanting to be close to his Lord, Believes in the resurrection, and yet they don't quite understand it yet. They don't know its meaning yet. The commentary talks about the very first Christians usually didn't believe in the resurrection just because the tomb was empty, but because they saw and they met the resurrected Jesus, but not John. He saw the empty tomb. In John 2 8 through 22, Jesus, uh, G- the Jews answered and said to him, Jesus, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken forty six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. You know, many of us claim to know about or even believe in the resurrection, but do we yet know its meaning? I ask this to myself too. Do I really know the meaning of the resurrection? It's the name, uh, not on the sign out front yet. We've been trying to get a sign made. It's the name on the cards. It's the name on the door. It's the name on the A-frame that we put out every week. But do we know the meaning of the resurrection? the depth of it, that it's not just being raised from the dead, but that it's raised eternally? Is it clear in in my life and in our lives that Jesus is truly risen? Are our lives lived in a way like Paul talks about in the rest of 1 Corinthians 15? Do we understand that it's Jesus' resurrection that makes eternity in heaven possible for us? That without the resurrection there would be no evidence of the afterlife. Without the resurrection, there would be no hope of heaven. Without the resurrection, even if we believed in the afterlife, we would be doomed to eternal death. And if there was no resurrection from the dead, there would be no point to any of this. There would be no point to being a Christian if there was no resurrection. Why? To face a life of persecution? To face a life of... uh, And we have it easy in America, so it's really hard for me to speak about it, but if we look the way things are in the world where people face death willingly because they know that Jesus is alive. But that's what the world believes, that there is no resurrection, that this life is the only life, guys. Do whatever you want. It's all pointless. And then we wonder, like my wife brought up last night at dinner, why there are school shootings. Well, it's because we teach them that the world is pointless. What do we expect from them? And it's a lie. This life is not pointless. This life has a point. And it's upward. This life has eternal value. This life has value now. And this life has value in eternity. But the disciples here, Peter and John, they go home. They see this. They don't know how to process it. Even John who believes that Jesus has risen from the dead, You think that they might go looking around. I still think that they're in shock. I still think that they're afraid. I still think they don't know what to do and how to process all of this. And I can't fault them. I, I wasn't there. I'd probably be doing the same thing for them. Would I be like John who believed or would I be like Peter who just ran in? I don't know. Let's go on to verse 11. It says, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus was lain. Don't you get a picture of the Ark of the Covenant here? The golden Ark with the two angels above it, with the blood sprinkled in. Perhaps there was even some blood there. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? You just hear his gentle voice there. And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I mean, the the desperation in her voice. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But I go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. You know, Mary Magdalene, someone who's forgiven a lot, someone who's tormented a lot in life before Jesus, someone who had sinned immeasurably, who was too distraught, too overwhelmed, that the man that the world would want to misconstrue, even in movies that are coming out now, to have some relationship with him, some romantic relationship with him, Now, nah, wasn't it? She loved him. And she probably loved him more than any man that she had ever loved before. But she didn't love him in a physical way, in a intimate way in that nature. She loved him in an intimate way, in a holy way of her God and her Savior. And she was too overwhelmed to leave. She was so full of tears, so full of weeping. I don't know if you ever had to weep over something before just uncontrollable. You can't tell what's going on. You don't care what's going on. You don't care who hears you. It's just so much pain. And even so much so that when two angels spoke to her, said, well then, (laughs) she talks to them like normal. Mostly when we see an angel show up in the Bible, they have to tell the people to not be afraid because they see the angels and they flip out. Not Mary. It was angels talking to her (laughs) And she was just so upset that she's just, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? You know, I have a feeling that she figured out they were angels later. Mm -hmm. Perhaps only home she went, wait a minute. There were two guys in the tomb. It wasn't Peter and John. (laughs) And she's so distraught that when she hears this man speak to her, she thinks he's the gardener. She thinks, oh, it's the morning, the gardener's come to to clean up the, the garden and to tend to the flowers to make sure that the grave is closed and, and handled. And she figures maybe they moved the body, you know, they put the body in there on Friday. It was quick. It was on the way. It was before the Passover and maybe the, the gardener came and someone else came and said, no, 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 he needs to be somewhere else. Maybe the soldiers who were guarding the tomb as we see in the other scriptures, maybe they took him somewhere and this guy would know. But she was so overwhelmed. And have we ever been so overwhelmed like that? We lose a loved one, a relationship, or perhaps even our own lives being in the grave from our sin. Our marriages, our jobs, our careers, our friendships, maybe whatever your dreams and hopes were, were destroyed because of your sinful decisions. And you come to a point where you're just weeping over it and broken over it. And Jesus is there and you don't even realize that it's Him. And sometimes it's just hard to see that reality of what's going on around us. John 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus when he came to him. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. She couldn't yet see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water... In the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That she believed in the Lord, but it had to come through this weeping for her to see the resurrection, for the reality of, of, of her new life in him to come to be. And it wasn't until he said her name that she recognized it was him. She heard his voice and Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. She recognized his voice when he said, Mary. She wanted to hug him. She wanted to cling to him. She wanted to hold him at that moment and never, ever let him go. Can you imagine being in that distraught state and all of a sudden the person that you're weeping over is right there? Wouldn't you want to hug them and never let them go? I think of even when I just come home from a, a work trip and my kids want to cling to me, Or before I leave and I tell them I have to go, how they cling to me and how they cry, and it breaks my heart, but in the same sense, it warms me because I know that they love me. Even though I don't want them to cry or go through those things and I want to comfort them. Sometimes even when I just come out of my office, they all cling to me. I say, Don't cling to me now, I've got a meeting (laughs) in two minutes. But sincerely it wasn't time yet to cling to Jesus, to his body eternity would have and is going to have all the time in the world, so to speak, for that. All the time in heaven. And it would never run out of time. But what it was time for now, Jesus said, was to tell the others. Don't cling to me. Tell the others. Tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Jesus says, tell my brethren our father and our God that this resurrection truly made Jesus and his disciples brothers and sisters it truly made God and man one again that even Jesus would truly call us his brothers and sisters and say that the God that that is his God the father is our father too and that just as he is one with the father so we too can be one with the father not because of the Bible, so to speak. You know, The Bible points us there, and that is an effort. And it is His Word. And we must be born by water, and the water of the Word, and the Spirit. But that this resurrection was the evidence. This resurrection, saying, God raised me from the dead. Why? Because He loved me, but because He loves you. Because He's my God, and because He's your God. Because I'm your brethren. Because I was born into humanity as your brother in the human race that God would raise me up, that he might raise up the entire human race to be one with him again. Sin was done away with. The limits of fleshly bodies and fleshly life were left behind in the grave. That Those limits didn't matter anymore. Why? Because Jesus was resurrected. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And he must rise from the dead. There's no way that you can kill God and he would stay dead. It was the most foolish plan in all of history in a sense for Satan to think that he could kill the Son of Man on the cross and that would be it. And what would happen then? I mean like 2,000 more years would happen but it would all be vanity because sin was done away with. But now it wasn't time to hang out with Jesus and cling to him in that sense. It was time to tell people Now is the time to proclaim to the world and our own resurrected lives that Jesus is alive. Not in a sense that we're alive, but tell them that Jesus is their brother now. That God has removed every separation between them and him now if they would just look to his son, Jesus. And to show them that through our lives and are not dead anymore. That we we didn't die maybe physically on earth yet. Maybe you are. Maybe you're Lazarus. I don't know. But that your life and my life is not the same life it used to be before we met Jesus. That it was dead. It was full of dead works. Even if they were good works, it was full of dead pursuits. We felt dead. We were dead. Our relationships were dead. Everything was dead. And then Jesus. And it's only because of his resurrection that our lives have any difference in them. That we didn't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We didn't tear off our own grave clothes and get rid of our addictions and get rid of our vices and get rid of our bad habits and our sinful ways. But that Jesus took them off and gave us new clothes and gave us a new robe and gave us a hope of heaven and gave us His Spirit. Because of the water, because of the blood. That this happened because of the cross. That without the cross, without His death, without His suffering, the resurrection could never have happened. And as David looked forward to the cross, he looked forward to the resurrection, he says in Psalm 23, 5, says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. And like Stephen, who is martyred, and Jesus stood for him in heaven, I know that Stephen knew that even though his enemies were before him and throwing stones at him is killing him, he knew that in that very moment, God was standing and preparing a table for him in heaven. That these enemies who would come against him had no real power. Even though they could kill his body, they could not truly make him dead. And again, if we know Jesus and truly know him, we're not truly dead, and we can never truly be killed. They may kill us. They may take our rights. They may try and silence us but you can't silence the gospel because it's living and is active and is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's all because that Jesus has risen and we allowed ourselves to have faith in that. Let's go on to verse 19. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, Where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It's a great sentence there. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. After a weekend like that, the word glad probably has more depth than we know. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But this was the same day. It was sundown on Sunday. So remember Mary and the disciples showed up in the morning before dawn. It was probably around dawn by the time uh, Mary saw Jesus. But Jesus doesn't show up at their house until the evening. And he goes to where the disciples are. But I wonder what he was doing all day. In the other 12 hours of the day, was he in the garden? Was he hanging out by the tomb, sitting on a rock? Waiting for them to show up? Wondering if they'd look for him? I mean, he knew, but bear with me here. All day, what was he doing? Where was he? But yet he still goes to them. He wants to see them. We know that he meets the disciples on the road to Emmaus and at one point, and they go, man, didn't our hearts burn within us? We didn't realize who it was in the beginning. But he still goes to them, and he wants to see them. And I believe God will give us opportunity to seek him out. We wonder where he is in those moments sometimes. Where is God in this? Why is this happening? Why don't I hear anything from him? Maybe all he's doing in that moment is just waiting for us to simply come to him, to find him in the garden, to find him and realize that he's alive. He's not dead. Our situation is awful. It's been a rough weekend, so to speak, in our lives, but he's alive. Will we find Him? Or are we just going to wait for Him to find us? What I love about the Lord is that even if we don't show, He still comes looking for us. Just like in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve didn't show that night. They didn't show that day. They were hiding. And He comes looking for them and says, Adam, where are you? And he shows his disciples his wounds look my hands pulls up his shirt so to speak my side and they were glad and they believed and just as jesus was sent by the father he says to them just like god sent me i'm sending you i'm alive again don't worry about this life worry about the next. Because the Christian life is not meant to be a stagnant one. And you may never leave your hometown, but that doesn't mean that your life is not a sent one in that hometown. And just because you've grown up and you've left home and you're doing your own life somewhere else, doesn't yet mean that you've been sent by the Lord or that you're doing what you've been sent to do. And when you've seen the risen Lord in your life, and you start to put all your trust in Him and His death and His resurrection. Not in His church. Not in Christianity as a whole. All those are good things. Our faith is to be in Him and His Word, His death and His resurrection. And when that begins to happen, our lives automatically begin to change. They can't. They can't not. You hear your name being called. Just like Mary did. You know it's him. You hear him give you a calling and, and a mission and a direction in life. Go tell the others. Your life cannot and never will be the same. Even if you try to ignore the call and do something else, you can't escape it. And I wonder, Christian, if we haven't heard that call, are we listening? Are we still weeping at the tomb? Have we even gone to the tomb? Have we begun to even weep over our condition or over the condition of those around us or the situations in the world? I know that when we begin to weep, we need to allow ourselves to weep. And in that, we need to look for Jesus. Not the gardener, but look for Jesus. So wipe those tears away. When he does, he will give us and show us the direction and purpose of our next steps. Are we like the disciples? Are we in a locked room somewhere of our dead faith? We've seen and we know about the resurrection, but we don't quite understand it yet. We haven't quite received the Holy Spirit yet. You know Romans 10 says that the word is near you in your heart, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is God's Son and that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved you will be saved. And then from there Paul goes on and say, how can they believe if they haven't heard? How can they hear if there's not a preacher? And how can there be a preacher if they're not sent? And, and Christian, you and me are sent by God. And if you're listening and you haven't yet come to faith in him, know that he loves you. And that he died for you and he took your place. And He knows your name. He knows the hurts you have. He knows the pains you have. Why? Because He experienced them. He took them. He became them on the cross of Calvary. And when He died and rose again, He buried them forever. That you could be separated from those pains and those troubles for all of your life. And all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you know what? You can be saved from all of that alcoholism, depression, anxiety, murder. All of it. All of it. It is finished, he said. It is finished, but you're not finished. Your life is not finished. God has a plan for you and for me and for all of humanity because of the cross and because, finally, of the resurrection. And what it truly means to be as Christian is to be born again, raised from death to life, from living and clinging to this life and crying over this one to living and clinging to the next one and proclaiming it to all those who would listen. In John 20, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. And as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the immeasurable work you did there for us and for all people of all time, of every race, creed, culture, nation, tribe, and tongue will be worshiping you in heaven. And we can't wait to hear that beautiful sound one day. But until then, God, we know that you've sent us. We know that uh, you've called all those in the world. And God, will they listen? Will they respond? Help them, Lord. Help them. Seek them out. Seek them out. I know I don't have to beg you to do that, that you're already doing it. I just want to be on board with what you're doing. So God, send us. Help us seek them out. And God, bring them to you, we pray, from all the highways and byways. and uh, God, that they might praise you and worship you. And we might all join in with all the angels and the saints and saying, holy, holy, holy. Because God, you are worthy of your name. You're the one who's uh, forever alive. You are the living God. Uh, and we trust you. Thank you, God, for Easter, uh, for this resurrection day when you came back to life. And let us live... Uh, Like we know that. And help us know even more day by day you and what it means uh, to be born again. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you.